So, this week is our last week uh, in our launch series for 2024, uh, where we've sought to dig deep into what it looks like to live the radical life of discipleship following our radical saviour, Jesus. But by God's grace, like I just prayed, I hope that for many of us, this is just another step into radically following him, a step deeper, one which will bear fruit for the rest of our days, one which will lead us to be continually growing in this. Across this series, we've had kind of two key truths uh, that have orientated where we've gone with this. There is so much more you could say about the radical life of discipleship. We could have just done this for the rest of the year, but I decided to nail it on down to four weeks and really give us three really specific areas of application. But those two key truths that we've been following along with are first, that the call to follow Jesus is the call to radically abandon yourself and everything else in order to follow him. Jesus said, whoever would come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. And then second, at the same time, the call to follow Jesus is the call to find treasure the likes of which the world cannot offer you. Again, Jesus said that the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field. And when a man finds it in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has in order that he might have that field and that treasure. And as we round this thing out, I wanted to speak to you today about the radical life choices of Christian discipleship. Um, Crystal and I, I think I've mentioned this from the front already, so I apologize if you're here and you've heard it twice. Eh, not really. Sorry, not sorry. Crystal's going to get me a shirt that says that one day. Um, we were at a missions conference recently in Adelaide, uh, and the state secretary of CMS, the Church Mission Society, uh, which is an organization that for over a hundred years has been faithfully sending Christians, uh, radically faithful Christians, to every part of the world, if, you know, from Pakistan to Chile, to everywhere else to be involved in and to equip others for the declaration of the gospel. People giving not just a few weeks or a few months of their lives to that, but, uh, but decades or even the remainder of their days to the going and the declaring of the gospel in places where it is most absent, the going to the nations. And he got up, Mark is his name, he got up and said that although there's good stuff happening, they're just not seeing many Christians now choosing to give their lives to cross-cultural missions. There's not many stepping up to that. We live in a culture that believes very much in the primacy of the self. That, that you are here primarily for you. You might help others, but the most important thing you have to do is to help you. Really, that's, that's not just our culture. That's a norm throughout human history. But like I said, today I want to talk to us about, about the radically different approach of Jesus to life choices and the radically different life choices that we, his disciples, are called into. But before we do that, let, I just want to set something up here uh, which might be helpful when thinking this through. In the broader sense, you kind of make two choices in your life, two types of choice. Uh, and it's not an either-or, it's a both-and. You will do both of these types of choices. Uh, there are reactive choices, 
And these are the sorts of choices where you are um, making a decision in response to the situation happening to you at the time. You know, they tend to be more in the moment. They can be big, they can be small, but it's the sort of decision you make when you have to decide, will I give money to this impoverished person in front of me here? And there are proactive choices, where you are making plans and decisions for your future, rather than just for the now. So if a reactive choice is, will I give money to this person? A proactive choice might be, will I set aside money in my budget every month so that I have money in order to be generous to people? And you know, there's all sorts of, you know, what career will I have? Who will I marry? You, know, you could make those reactively, but I desperately encourage you not to. Uh, but really, what I want to get at today is that rather than being self-centered in these things. Followers of Jesus are called to be radically Jesus-centered and therefore other-centered in the small and the big decisions, in the reactive and the proactive decisions. Now, this isn't a new issue, this combat between the self and Jesus in making decisions. You know, it goes right back. If, if you look at Luke chapter 9, where we are today... Um, here we go. If you look at Luke chapter 9, we see a great example of self-centered decision-making happening on the pages of the Bible. It's kind of crazy. Jesus says to his disciples, the Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. Now, um, either this happened more than once, which is a really good possibility. Uh, in fact, we know that this sort of thing happened more than once in the ministry of Jesus. But, but or else, Mark is recording the same thing. Uh, when he goes into more detail on what Jesus said, he, he records Jesus having said, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him. And when he's killed, after three days, he will rise. Basically, guys, listen, very soon I'm going to die. I'm going to be killed. They're going to capture me and they're going to murder me. Don't be too troubled. I will rise again. And the disciples, you'd think, you know, what, what's going through your mind when your Saviour and your Lord has just said that to you? Well, oh, no, you're going to die. Is there something we can do about this? But, but instead, what happens next? Right? The disciples are making some proactive moves to ensure their own success and greatness. In fact, they start arguing about who is the greatest. And Jesus does something incredible it says, um, knowing the reasoning of their hearts, that is to say, knowing they were acting out of selfishness, knowing how unhealthy the place was they were coming from, knowing their desires were entirely self-oriented, he reorients their vision of what a great life looks like. And he does that in, in kind of two ways. First, he tells them that true greatness is found in radically giving yourself for others. He gets a kid in his lap. And he tells them that although the world might see it as an insignificant thing to care for this child, heaven doesn't see it that way. Heaven sees it as receiving God. What could be more important than having God as your guest in your house? That from heaven's perspective, those who give themselves... Those who lower themselves for the sake of others are the great ones. 
Jesus doesn't say, don't be ambitious to be great. He says, be ambitious to be great by a greater standard of greatness. But he doesn't just tell, he shows. Jesus says, the Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men and they will kill him, right? Notice that the radically selfless choices of Jesus in the small, small things of life. You know, think about this. It's easy to step over, but, but every step, every move Jesus makes in his ministry and in his life is intentionally a move towards the cross. The Bible presents us with a, with a sinless, perfect and loving saviour. And it's easy to forget how many reactive moments there would have been along that road. How many times he had to choose to love and had to choose to still speak the truth in response to our brokenness all around him. And to the, in response to the fact that it would have been easier not to in a lot of ways. But then have a look at, at Luke 9.51, right? And, and we've talked about the little decisions, the, the, the reactive decisions as well. They're, they are important, but we probably spend more of our time talking about that kind of living. The, well, what happens when you run into this situation living? And so today, I want to really focus on the big proactive choices. And, and Luke 9 is this turning point moment in the Gospel of Luke. If you, if you were here when we preached through Luke, Luke was our first big series as a church. Uh, we went through it for about, I don't know, a year, year and a half. Um, he, uh, Jesus has been on, uh, he's been ministering in Galilee up until this point. Kind of moving around that area, not unintentionally so, but he's been uh, ministering, kind of milling around Galilee and then he reaches a point where he makes an intentional shift. He makes a proactive choice. He chooses to go in this direction. Luke puts it like this. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, for him to die and to rise, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And I imagine Jesus, right? In the middle of an already sacrificial, already difficult, busy ministry, lifting his head and setting his face like flint to go. To go in the direction of the cross and not to turn back. Making the choice to go and to give himself to save us no matter the cost. Now, because this was the plan all along, doesn't make that any less of a big choice. And from that moment, the rest of Luke's gospel happens either on the road to Jerusalem in or around Jerusalem, at the cross, or at the resurrection and after. All because he makes this big choice to walk the road to the cross, because he sets his face in this direction and never turns back. And praise God, Jesus was radically selfless in both the reactive choices and the proactive ones, right? Isn't that a moment worthy of praise? Praise God, he didn't just stop. Praise God, he didn't just go, you know what would be better for me or simpler for me, more comfortable for me? Just, just stopping for a bit, right? Enjoying the credit for some of these miracles I can clearly do, but not kind of riling people up with the truth and not going to Jerusalem, certainly, to die on a cross. Isn't he worthy of all praise and all honor? 
He did this. He chose this every day. And in every way, he did so in order to save us, to save you. You know, if you haven't received salvation in Jesus' name, if you haven't put your trust in the Savior and chosen to follow him as Lord and Savior, then let today be that day for you. It doesn't have to wait. See the glory of the Savior and believe. Turn to him even now and say, Lord, I've been running from you, but I want to run to you. Save me. Be my Lord. I turn from my sin. The radical life of Jesus is a life we, his disciples, are called to be radical in identifying with. Radical in following. You might be sick of that word. Don't worry, you won't hear it too much next week. Let me give you some orientating commands for how we are to live this out that we get from the New Testament. Not my commands, God's commands. We had read for us before Philippians 2, verse 3 to 4. Paul tells the church, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Here's another. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Everything. Everything is to be done with that in mind. The little decisions, the big decisions. The reactive choices, the proactive choices. Now, both of those might be easier to recognize the need of, I think, in the small decisions and in the reactive decisions than the big ones and the proactive ones. But here's the thing. Those commands are relative to every choice you ever make. We are all going to face big life choices doesn't matter what age you are, they will still be there. You know, sometimes, sometimes the biggest choices, like I said earlier on, it'll be a tragedy. You'll just let the them wash over you reactively. You wait till they come and you'll just do what comes naturally. It's not a good way to make choices. And it's not a way that ends up in giving glory to God and doing all for the glory of God. Let me, for a moment, and, and you can decide whether you fit in this category, um, let me address our young people here. Now, nah, I'm going to specify it. If you're school-aged, right, or leading there too, you guys are on your way through a period in your life in which a huge number of the big life choices are going to be made and where it is very easy to just kind of roll, just kind of go with it, and follow the same way as everyone else. You know, you head through your schooling and you just keep your head down, do your best to come out kind of looking okay and not like too much of a weirdo. Incidentally, I failed. Um, to, but you know, trying to look okay to the people around you. And then you get to the end of your schooling and you have to look at things like, what career or what life am I going to pursue? What, but, but what career will you pursue? The criteria are usually, what do you enjoy? What pays well? That one usually rates fairly high. And then you need to make the decision, you know, where am I going to live my life? 
where will I go? Or will I stay? And again, it comes down to where do I like the most for most people? What's a place that I like? And then there's decisions like, who will I spend my life with? Who will I marry? And the world's way of answering that is whoever makes you feel good, right? And today, I just want to land you with the challenge here, young'uns, and olden's as well. <laughs> it's not a word, I made it up. And this is a, a challenge for all of us. What does it look like to follow Jesus in those big proactive choices? What does it look like when you're deciding on where you will live, not to do so out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility to count others more significant than yourself? Usually we don't think of that when we're thinking of where am I going to live? What does it look like when you're considering what career you will seek, potentially for decades to come, to do all things to the glory of God and make that decision in that light? I, honestly, I believe that if we were gripped by the radical heart of Jesus in the way that the Bible desires for us to be, God desires us to be through his word, if we were gripped such that we abandoned ourselves and followed him, that here in our midst, we would have missionaries. We could, there could be missionaries who are gripped by the heart of Jesus for those who live in parts of the world where the gospel has not been declared. Did you know... Did you know that the Joshua Project, fun website to look up if you want to, the Joshua Project lists, lists 17,313 individual people groups in the world. Okay? That's, that's groups, I'm going to make a hash of this, but it's something like groups that would have trouble talking to each other. Where, where there's not just the neighbouring town. You know, it's not Middleton and Yorktown. Okay? We're in one people group. Of those, 7,278 are listed as unreached people groups. Or 3.4 billion people. Who have little to no realistic chance individually or as a culture even of hearing the gospel in their lifetime. There is such a powerful need still. It's easy for us to get lazy in this and to forget this, but there is such a powerful need for Christians to step up to the command of Jesus to take the gospel and go. This isn't just a young people thing, by the way. You can go to the nations as an older person. <laughs> the need is so great. You know, retire to Pakistan. Tell them Jesus sent you. Lord, would you raise up those who go from our number here for your glory? We could have missionaries who are used mightily in the spread of the gospel all across the earth if we would follow the call of Jesus to lay down our lives and take up our cross and follow him. But it won't happen without that. 
I believe we might send forth from our number church planters, pastors. I want you to consider seriously, younger folks, I'm, I'm hitting you again here, sorry, but as you go through school and head into the world, consider that God might be calling you personally to give up the worldly dreams that you might have pursued. Set aside the primacy of the self and set aside the weight of the questions, what do I enjoy and what pays well? And take up God's definition of greatness. You want to be great, right? And so ask the question, where might I be most effective in serving? And what would bring the greatest glory to God? Do you have any idea how many rural towns in just this state alone lack a church that faithfully declares the gospel and is committed to the missionary nature of the church? You know, of the 91 towns in South Australia that are over 500 and under 5,000, and yes, that means I'm cutting out a lot of valid towns. How many could be radically transformed if some here went, trained in stu studied the Bible, trained as a church planter, and then went and started up a church there, committed to the glory of God and the spread of the gospel, and called the people in their area to do the same, and sent church planters and pastors forth from their number, and it spread like a wave across the state. If we would just lay ourselves down. If we die to ourselves, if we abandon ourselves and live for Jesus, who abandoned himself and died for you, amazing things will happen. Haven't we seen that over five years? Couldn't we see so much more of it? You know what else, by God's great grace, we have here among us? People who become missionaries on their streets. You know, some will be called to go to the nations and to different places to minister the gospel, but every follower of Jesus, two or one, is commanded by Jesus to be a missionary and make disciples. Jesus said, go and make disciples to his disciples. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you're one of them. We have something like, at Gospel Church, and this is underrepresented today, but we have something like 25 people in our church under the age of 18. Imagine the earth-shaking wonder. The power of what God might do if those 25 spent the rest of their days pursuing the glory of God. In their careers, in their streets, in their marriages, in their lives. Imagine if all of us, okay, you can tell I'm not under the age of 18, so I'm spreading it out a bit here. If every follower of Jesus at Gospel Church laid ourselves down in every decision, abandoned ourselves and followed Jesus, used our schooling, our jobs, our un unemployment, our retirement, our marriages, our lives sacrificially for the glory of God. People who humbly live their lives 
either off in another place or right here in the country for the spread of the gospel and the glory of God. People who sacrifice daily by laying themselves down so that the people of York Peninsula or the people of the Arabian Peninsula could know the goodness of the one true God. People who set their face to go in the way that Jesus has gone. This is God's plan for the salvation of souls. By his sovereign will, this is how he's chosen to do it. This is his plan for the growth of his kingdom in this world. And by his grace and his spirit's power, he will do it. And it is given to us to be a part of his great plan. Would you pray with me over that? God, would you light a fire in us to follow? Would you spark a revival in us that living by the grace of God and the power of his spirit, we might make our choices for your glory Would you change us, Lord, and lead us deeper into the radical life of discipleship? And would you bring people to trust in you and be saved through it and bring us deeper into the goodness and the treasure of living with you in our lives? Lord, let us with joy abandon all else and follow you. Transform us, Lord, and go on transforming us all of our days. We pray it in Jesus' beautiful name. Amen.